0: You can leave us a one-time gift or set up a recurring general donation. Thank you for your support. And now, let's begin today's message. Verse 16. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent him, the brother, sent with him, the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love. And of our boasting on your behalf. So allow me to give you an introduction. To lay the foundation and all. So that we can get an idea of what's taking place here. Remember with me that chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. Are chapters dedicated to Paul speaking concerning giving. There had been a, uh, a promise made by the church in Corinth to take care of some needs of another church or churches in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, the church had made a commitment that they would help the poor in that city. So what we have in chapter 8 and into 9 is Paul exhorting them to make good on their promise to send that gift. Now, they had originally made that that promise, that volunteer. They had volunteered to give help almost (laughs) almost a year before. And though they had uh, made the promise, they were yet to fulfill it. So verses 10 and 11, in those verses, Paul said that they had a desire, but now it's time for them to keep that promise. And Paul expects that that promise is going to be kept. They've had almost a year. And so he's expecting that in the amount that they had to save, that they were going to send a great amount. That's what he says in verse 20 when he says, avoiding this, that en- that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift. So Paul expects it to be generous. He even calls it lavish. That word lavish is a word that simply means abundant. It speaks of being exceedingly generous. So he's expecting that gift that they're going to give to the church to be very generous. Again, they had almost a year to prepare, so Paul expects a large amount of money. So as he's encouraging them, we've seen this, as he's encouraging the Corinthian church, he he speaks of the Macedonians, and and he makes it clear that, that though they had suffered through affliction and deep poverty, uh, the result of that had actually been generosity. And he used that example, as we saw, uh, he used that example to encourage the Corinthians to be generous themselves. You see, if the Macedonians were generous and they've been going through so much, it only makes sense that the Corinthians would also be generous. So he's expecting a large gift, a large monetary gift. So plans have to be made to deliver it. The distance between Corinth And Jerusalem somewhere between seven and eight hundred miles and so it could take several days to make the journey and it could be dangerous so messengers needed to be appointed to deliver the money and those who transported the money well they better have impeccable credentials because the handling of God's finances has to be done with integrity you see Paul knew that the love of money was the root of all kinds of evil More than one professing believer has given in to greed. That would uh, even include uh, one of Jesus' former apostles, a man by the name of Judas. And you remember in John chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, how Judas had asked, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii given to the poor? And this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. So Paul knew that that money and greed, sometimes uh, people with greed would have a desire for that money, and it could could cause a lot of problems. And so he knew that the, the offering being taken to Jerusalem needed to be safeguarded. The large amount of money could be tempting to somebody. So those who carried and delivered the money needed to have impeccable character. Now, Paul's an apostle. He's a spiritual leader, and he's very careful to do things properly. He's already made it clear that he wants the ministry to be beyond accusation. He had said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, Paul had said, We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. So because of this, he appointed qualified men to handle the transportation of the gift. And so in verse 16, he begins by simply saying, Thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. Now, he brings up Titus because this is someone that they're familiar with. Let me share a couple thoughts about Titus. When you read your Bible, you discover that Titus came to faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry of the apostle Paul. There's a book called Titus, and in chapter 1, verse 4, Titus chapter 1, verse 4 opens with the words to Titus, my own son, after the common faith. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, we're told that Titus is a Gentile. And so what you have is you have a Gentile who came to faith in Christ, breaking down the wall of of separation between the Jew and Gentile, making the one new man. And this man, Titus, is a son to Paul. And Paul shows great affection and love and trust in this man. Even though the man wasn't Jewish, the man was a Gentile. And over time, he matured. He matured as a believer, eventually pastoring a church. So in this letter, Paul has already mentioned Titus. We've seen him mentioned more than once. Titus had gone to Corinth. He had met them. He had grown to love the Corinthians. In chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, verse 13, that verse tells us that the Corinthians had refreshed his spirit. And so he's speaking of this one that they already know. They're familiar with a man by the name of Titus. And so he begins again by saying, Thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. The same earnest care. That word earnest. The earnest care. Earnest means to give all diligence in accomplishing, promoting, or striving after anything. This earnest care is the same kind that Paul had for the Corinthians. This kind of earnest concern for ministering to people he says, came from the Lord. It's more than human empathy, which many people have. But the kind of care Titus had was spiritual. It was a spiritual concern for people, especially that they might know the Lord. And that concern for people, to know Jesus, comes from God. And notice again, Titus had the same earnest care for them. When he says the same earnest care, the same would speak of the same kind that, that Paul himself had for them. Paul had that kind of concern for these people. When we look at Titus, we have to see that he's not a rival seeking attention. He's not attempting to draw people to himself. He's not one who placed himself above Paul. He wasn't fighting to become a well-known minister. Paul says he has the same earnest care that I have for you. In other words, Titus loved the church and could be trusted by Paul as well as the church. Again, God put the same earnest care for them in his heart love for them wasn't self-generated it was actually love that God put in his heart for them now as their spiritual father Paul loved them and he rejoiced to know that Titus did too Paul loved them and Paul was a protective father and he wanted others to love them also when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says something, and I'm paraphrasing, not word for word, but paraphrasing. He says, though you may have 10,000 instructors, yet you have but one Father, I begot you in the gospel. You may have 10,000 people who instruct you spiritually. You may have 10,000 people, meaning a great group of people, not numerically exact, but you may have a lot of people who influence you Spiritually but I begot you in the, in the gospel. You have but one Father. You may have somebody that you go to lunch with after church on a Sunday, and as you're eating, conversation may arise concerning the church service you just left, and as your friend is in between bites of their salad, they may be saying to you, you know, I don't agree with everything I heard today. Most of it was okay, but... You have 10,000 instructors. I've said this to the church before. I've said, you know, I may be the pastor of the church, but that doesn't mean I'm the pastor of the person because the sheep know the shepherd's voice, and your shepherd is the one who speaks into your soul. Your, Your shepherd is very often your best friend or somebody you go to church with, somebody that you allow to influence you. Because I'm just a stranger, aren't I? I'm just a guy up here talking. But the one that you you hang around with, or maybe the one that you're married to, or the one that you're raising, that person can have a shepherd's influence in your life, and you don't even realize it. And so they hear something that's said that they disagree with, and as a result of that, they they say, ah, that's not true. They don't read the Bible. They don't study the Bible. They have their opinions, but their opinions matter. You may have 10,000 instructors, Paul said, but you've got one father. I begot you in the gospel. They didn't, but I did. I brought you the truth. I gave you the ministry. I loved you. I was there with you. I wept with you. I planted the church there, and you now have false teachers who are entering in who are stealing your hearts from me. And that's what Paul is saying. We'll see that more closely as we continue on. 10,000 instructors, but one father. 10,000 people who influence you, but one person who brought you to faith in Jesus Christ. And what is he doing? He's simply saying, I don't want anyone taking advantage of you. I, I trust Titus, you can too, because I would not put anybody in any way influencing you. I would never put that person in that position to influence you if he didn't love you. I don't want him taking advantage of you. I don't want anybody to do that. We'll see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2 how how Paul said, "I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy." Every father understands that. You got your little girl? If you have a little girl, even your little boy, and you protect them, don't you? You protect them. You lay your life down for them because of your babies. You, you teach them the word of God. You pray with them from the time that they're, they're small. if you were a believer when, when you had them. that's what you do. You know I, every one of my kids, not one of them, was raised a saint, and I blame Marie for that. but not one of them was raised perfectly. Two imperfect people tried to help two people help people who were imperfect also. We did our best with our children as they were small, and I did the best I could as a father. I'm very protective for my children, especially for their spiritual well-being. And from the time that my babies were small, every one of them, from the time they were small, when we'd be able to put them into a high chair and it was time to eat, from the time they were small, a year year old, sitting able to sit there and uh, make a mess of their meal, I would put my, my, my hand around their wrist, my finger and my thumb, lightly. And I would turn to them. I can still see myself doing it, because they always sat in the high chair was to my left. And I can still see myself doing it, where I would say, we're going to pray right now, baby, and we're going to thank Jesus for our food. That's what we did from the time they were little. And I said little prayers. I say, thank you, Jesus, for this food. Amen. That was grace for the small babies. And I started with the kids. I had four of them, every one of those kids, protecting them from the beginning to teach them the word. I knew knew that I had so much time with them, and then they were going to enter into a secular environment called a school, and in that school, there were going to be people who influenced them. And I knew that the things I was teaching my kids would be challenged by teachers eventually. I knew that. So from the very beginning, knowing that it's a spiritual war, knowing that the, that the enemy kills children, how do I know that? Because in the book of Exodus, they, he, the, you know, Pharaoh had all the children killed, and in, in the book of Matthew, you know, the, 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 the king did the same, killed the children. The, the enemy has always gone after the youth, and I knew it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour into my children a protective understanding of what truth is and who Jesus Christ is, and as a father, that's what we do. That's what men are to do, is to lead the home, to show them the ways of God so that they may have an example of somebody who stood firm, stood fast, wouldn't bow, and stayed close to Christ. And that's what I wanted to be for my children. I wanted them to have a man in the house. I wanted them to have a hero, someone who would stand up for what is right, regardless of whether people liked it or not. That's what I wanted to be for them. And every man in this room should be the same. I protected my children. I loved my children. I, to this day, protect and love my children from false doctrine. To this day, we converse about what truth is. Why? That's what daddies do. And that's why Paul could be speaking of Titus, a true son in in the faith, and he was one who had discipled and mentored him. He's one who, who cared for him. And God had put into the heart of Titus the same kind of love that Paul himself had. And he had a love for these people that was a jealous love. Now, it seems to be kind of rare today in the church for, for people to have that kind of love for, for the sheep. It, it can be difficult to find assistants who have a love for the sheep like that. But Paul... Well, Paul had a couple of men he mentions that were like that. There was Titus, who had the same kind of love that Paul had for the Corinthians. And there was another man by the name of Timothy in Philippians in chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Paul said, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Titus had the same earnest love for these people that Paul did. Listen, one of the things, and we're going to see this in chapter 12. I'll I'll read it to you very briefly here. One of the things about a father is a father takes care of the children. In verse 14 of chapter 12, if you take notes, for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. My children, when they were younger, would say, Daddy, someday I might have a lot of money. And when I have a lot of money, I'll get you whatever you want. And I would smile at them. And then they would say, and this they can tell you this is true. They would, they would say, Daddy, what do you want for Christmas? And you know what I've said to this day? I want you to serve the Lord. I want you to serve the Lord. What do I want for Christmas? I want you to serve the Lord. Because anything I want... I can buy for myself. You can't buy me anything I can't afford for myself. So I don't need your material things. What I need is your heart. What I need is for you to follow Jesus, to love Jesus with all your heart. You want to give me a gift? Follow Jesus. You want to give me something that matters? Follow Jesus. That's all that matters. Why? Because the Father lays up for the children, not the children for the Father. I'm not going to take from you you know, my kids can tell you this is true to my own hurt. I'll take them out for dinner on occasion. And they, they don't reach for their wallets because I've taught them not to. I've said, when I, as long as I'm able, I'm going to pay for your meals because I'm your father and I take care of my children and I don't want you buying me anything. They're very happy about that, I must say. <laughs> but it's true. My children, I don't want things from them. I want something deeper. I want your heart, not what belongs to you. I want what what matters, not some material thing that perishes with the using. I I don't need the material things. I've never needed them. What I need is you to walk with God. What I need is for you to know him. And that's why I gave them devotions all their lives. That's why I prayed for them. When we'd send them to school as children, they always went to school, not with a have a great day. They always went to school with me, laying my hand on their head as they were walking to, because we would drive them. We would drive them to school, even though we were only three blocks away from the school. They could have walked. But we would drive them to be there with them. And as they climbed out of the car, I would put my hand on their shoulder, or I'd say, in Jesus' name, God be with my babies today. Amen. Every day, they went every day. You know why? Because I knew that the battle was on for their soul. I knew that. I knew that the battle was on for their soul. And I know the enemy destroys families and destroys children. I know that. And I fought for them, and I still do. Though they're adults, they have their own children, I still do. Why? Because father's job is never over. Never. As long as we're alive, we're an influence. That's a fact. That's a fact. No, I don't run their the show for them. I don't make the decisions for them. At a certain point, they're responsible for those things. But I'll always be there if they have a need of any sort. And if they need advice, dad's there for you. I will always be there. Mama's the same way. Because we know what matters in the end. And that's what Paul would be like with Titus. Titus was a son in the faith. Titus was a convert. And these Corinthians had been brought to faith uh, in Christ And so, with, with, uh, through Paul. and So for all of those things, he had a love for them that was earnest. And, and by the way, uh, because Titus earnestly loved them, he would not be tempted to take from them when he was carrying the money as part of the team that was going to bring that great sum of money to Jerusalem. And so he's speaking of that, and in verse 17, he, he says, he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. He accepted the exhortation. The exhortation was for Titus to go and finish receiving the offering for Jerusalem. Now, this is something that might pass by us without noticing. As a man of God and a man under orders, Titus, noticed, accepted Paul's exhortation. In ministry, it is of utmost importance for an assistant to follow through with directions. So that requires spiritual maturity and trust. It requires humility. It's important to note that Paul didn't see him as a qualitatively lesser minister. Notice he he sees him as a fellow laborer. In in 2 Corinthians 2.13, he said, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother. But in the kingdom there is still authority that's wielded and there's still authority that is yielded to. So the fact that he accepted the exhortation shows that Titus was authorized by Paul. Being, being authorized means that he was acting at the request and orders of Paul. And it shows that he was eager. He didn't even need to be requested to go. He wanted to. And so he says it in verse 17, being more diligent, he went of his own accord. Titus personally owned the concern of Paul. He went on his own accord. He was not a novice. He didn't need instruction on how to care for him. And this love for them motivated him to desire to see them. He had seen in Paul, Paul's love, I'm sure, seeing Paul's love was an instructive way for him to know how to love also. My dad never taught me anything about love in terms of verbally. My father never gave me a lecture in my life about love. As a matter of fact, my father hardly ever spoke to me at all, period, at all, conversationally. We didn't have conversation. My dad was real quiet. My dad was the quiet man in the house. And, uh, you know, he never did. I can't remember my father. I won't go into too much of this. I'm trying to make a point. But I have to develop to get to that. My dad didn't have an a, a open, communicative spirit. He just didn't. My dad was quiet. And so I never heard my father ever say anything to me about love. He never said, I love you. My father told me, I love you, the first time when I was 17. I was 17. First time he ever said, I love you, son. 17. And I don't know if he said it again. And I, he died when I was 51. My dad didn't say those things. Do You know, I never saw my father ever say, I love your mother. My dad and my mom were married for 53, almost 54 years. But my father, I never heard my father ever say to me, I love your mother. I've never heard my father, I never heard my father say to my mother, honey, I love you. In all my life, 51 years. I never heard him say, I love you one time. And yet, if you were to ask me what influenced me to love my wife, I would tell you my dad. I would tell you my dad. Because my dad's lecture was his example in his life. He loved my mother to his last dying breath, and I knew it. There was only one person in the world that my father loved with all of himself outside of Jesus, and it was my mother And he loved her so much that they would not let my mother walk into the hospital room when he was dying on his deathbed. They told her, we cannot bring you into the room to see your husband because the moment he sees you, his heart beats too fast. And he had had a heart attack and that will kill him. Mrs. Rosales, you have to stay out of the room. My father never told me how to love a woman. He showed me how to love a woman. He never looked at another woman. He never spoke of another woman. He never allowed another woman close to him. There was only one woman, and that was Bonnie, his woman. I'm the same way. I never was lectured to. I watched. And I said, so this is what love is. You pour all of it, into one person, and I have this woman that I call my wife. And that's what the kind of things that Paul, in front of Titus, Titus would see how Paul would speak of the Corinthians, and he spoke of the church, and how he would be there for them, how he would minister to them, how he loved them, how he would weep over them. Because if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter two, one through five, he speaks concerning the fact that he was before them in tears. He had seen all of the ministry of Paul. He knew of his love for the Corinthian church and all of that. And so God had put that kind of love into the heart of Titus for the church. That was the kind of love that that he learned from when when we went through this this shutting down of the church. There were people who were writing and they were saying, oh, you pastors are cowards. You ought to be at the church and you ought to do this and you ought to do that. I was here. I was here every week. My wife and I got up and we would come every week. Every week when this church was not meeting, we were here. We were in that parking lot. And anybody who came in, I would pray with. Anybody who showed up, I would talk to because I love my sheep. Because I care. And some, some of my staff was here, too. We didn't put it out. We didn't say, oh, look at us. Trumpet it. Look at, oh, how loving we are. You didn't know, did you? And then four weeks before everything opened up, I had 150 people outside just standing there. It was hot. I said, let's go in and worship the Lord. So for four solid weeks, we were coming in worshiping God. I was giving devotions. I didn't put it out. I didn't trumpet. I just said, this is what we do. They're here. They need to be cared for. That's what pastors do. The world can't tell me to stop loving my sheep. The world can't tell me when to meet with them. I will do the best I can to be responsible for you. I will not put you in danger, but I'm loving my sheep no matter what. And if you need the word, I'm going to give it to you. That's how it is. And and my staff saw that. My staff saw that. And they saw this is what a shepherd does. Titus did the same. He saw that in the life of Paul. He saw that. And so he learned, and God had put in his heart the same kind of love that Paul had. He was diligent. He went on his own accord. Titus owned the concern that Paul had. He wasn't a novice. He didn't need instruction on how to care for others. The love he had motivated him to to want to see him. He had no doubt expected the church to still be kind and loving as well as generous. And, And notice he had an urgent care. He had a desire to minister, but that came from within. So he had the heart of a pastor. And that's why we know he's a pastor, because if you look at Titus chapter 1, verse 5, that speaks concerning the ministry that, that Titus had in Crete. He was the, the elder, the pastor of the church in Crete. So this love and this concern made him a good man to perform the task that was at hand. And then he goes on, and, and I'll summarize these. In verse 18, we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord Himself, and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. So Paul sent two men with Titus who were recognized as spiritual men. They came with Titus to receive the offering for the Jerusalem church, and by sending these two men, Paul was exercising wisdom. He's safeguarding Titus as well as himself from accusations of financial wrongdoing. Wisdom in handling church finances is of utmost importance because the love of money has been the downfall of many a minister of the gospel. The handling of God's money is intended to be done with integrity and it safeguards us from the sin of greed as well as the temptation to steal from God. We need to remember that the money belongs to God and it's to be used to glorify him. I'll say this quickly for those of you who might be interested. We take this kind of thing here at this church very seriously. For many years now, for several several years, we, vol- uh, we have voluntarily hired an independent auditing firm to oversee our use of any financial gifts our church receives. Our auditors review our expenditures on a quarterly basis and help to hold us financially accountable. They also review our financial policies and as well as our procedures and give us advice and direction in our internal controls order to safeguard this church from even the appearance of misappropriation. So every dime that comes in is accounted for. I have an outside firm that actually comes in, reviews all our books. They do it quarterly. Then we have one yearly audit, and every penny and every dime, every nickel, every dollar is accounted for, everyone, because we really believe that that's necessary. So what were these men like? Let me close by looking at a few things. Well, he speaks of a brother in verse 18 whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. This man is a man of impeccable character. He's a sincere believer. Second, in verse 19, he was chosen by the churches to travel with Paul. So he's recognized as qualified based on integrity. Verse 19, Paul says this gift which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord. When he says that, one, Paul recognized himself as one who administers as a steward of God's finances He's responsible for someone else's goods. And Paul knew the finances belonged to God. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. But he had been given responsibility for these things, and he did it as service to the Lord. But he also knew that he was to do it in a way that brings glory to God. There was an accountability. He wanted to avoid any stumbling of anybody, any accusation of misuse of funds. He was avoiding any offenses that could result in criticism or in scandal. Now, Paul, in verse 19, says, to show your ready mind. Your ready mind speaks of your zeal. It speaks of the eagerness to care for the poor. They had not yet uh, given, but they had only promised to give. So he's encouraging them. And then he says in verse 20, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. His detractors would accuse him of taking money from the poor. And seeing that he had put together a trusted team, this safeguarded him from accusation. His companions could bear witness that the money collected was intact. And seeing that the Corinthians trusted these men, Paul's honor would be safeguarded. And it was a lavish gift. They had had almost a year to collect the finances. A large amount would be given. They hadn't yet given, but they promised that they would. And so he says in verse 21, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So his motives are pure. He's aware of how people judge him, and he's aware of his need to be honorable. You need to be careful that your witness is solid. There are people who know you that you don't even know know you. I tell that to my staff. I'll say, especially the people in the worship team or whatever, I'll, I'll say, you know, I... Um, You stand up in front of a lot of people. You may not see them the way they see you. There's only one of you standing up there, but there's a lot of them you're looking at. You may not recognize them, but they'll recognize you. So you go to a store or you go somewhere in town, and you may very well have people approach you who recognize you when you don't recognize them. And they have the opportunity of seeing the way you treat other people. They have the opportunity of seeing how you're living when you're not on that stage. See, when I go to the store, which I have on occasion, I'm forced to by Marie, when I go to the, the store, we've been pushing our basket. And I've had people walk up and, hi, pastor, how are you? I go to your church, and I'm smiling fine as they're looking to see what I have. So I've learned to hide the, hide the bourbon underneath the meat. Uh, because they'll do that. They'll. I've, I've, I can't tell you the amount of times I've gone and I've gone to the checkout to have uh, somebody work in the checkout stand saying, hi, pastor, I'll see you on Sunday. I can't tell you how many times that has happened. There are people everywhere that you don't even realize. Go to your church, you may know you. And I tell that to my staff. So you're a visible example without even knowing that you are. I've told you this before, Marie and I were on our way to New York, I believe it was New York, it was a ministry trip, we were in Ontario, we had to get a flight out, and I had to be in in New York at a certain time, I had to be there, you know, because I was going to teach at seven o'clock that night, and so here we are in Ontario, and they cancel our flight, and I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do? You know, oh, no, and then they, they say over the air, they say, those of you who are flying to New York from Ontario, there is a flight that's flying out of Los Angeles in three hours or whatever, and now I'm like, really, I'm upset. Now, when I get upset, Marie knows I'm upset. If you know me well, you'll know I'm upset because I begin to breathe hard. So I get quiet. I don't get loud. I get quiet. I'll... <sighs> and now I'm praying because <laughs> they have me in a line to get some information about what flying in Los Angeles. And I'm thinking, LA, that's an hour, 20 minutes from here. Got to get off. Got to do this. Got to... I, and I'm, I'm really frustrated now because I'm thinking, I, don't need, I have to call somebody to pick us up. We have to end up doing all of this as I'm going. And every step closer to the counter, I'm madder. I'm getting angrier. And I'm thinking, oh God, I'm so upset. Oh God. Till I got to the counter. When I get to the counter, the woman behind the counter looks at me, Pastor David, I go to your church. <laughs> well, <laughs> praise God, how are you? The Lord says, you're such a hypocrite. (laughs) Why don't you breathe hard now? Tell her how you're feeling, right? See, so God's been working on me for a long time to be aware of these things, to be aware of who you are, to be aware of where you go, what you're doing, all of that, to be aware. And so these are the kinds of people that that Paul had working with them, people that had pure motives, people who who were men of of, uh, integrity and all, and in, uh, that's who he's referring to. In verse 22, we sent, them, uh, sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. The second brother is referred to as one look at who has proved diligent in many things. He was faithfully consistent over time and trial. Some people start out well, but don't remain on fire. When disappointment or affliction enter their lives, they lose their zeal. This was a man who remained consistent over the course of time. The church was a witness to his diligence and his faithfulness, and it made him a good choice. And finally, he says in verse 23 and 24, If anyone inquires about Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. So he recommends Titus. As in the case with many of God's saints, Titus is relatively unknown. But he's a partner in ministry. He's above reproach and he's greatly trusted. And all of these men have God's seal of approval. Welcome them warmly as they come to you. Receive from you the gift that you've prepared because you can trust them. Receive them graciously. When you do so, you're demonstrating your love for God and for me. You're revealing that you are worthy of my boasting about you. You see, Titus had discovered you to be loving believers, and these men will too. So receive them affectionately and give them the honor that they should receive. And that's what we ought to be doing, by the way, is we ought to show honor to where honor is due. And when somebody is serving the Lord with all of their heart and they've proven to be diligent and faithful and caring and loving, all the more should we honor and respect them. And Paul is basically saying that when he says in verse 24 again, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Demonstrate that my boasting in you is not in vain, because you are loving saints, so love and care for those that you'll be seeing when they arrive. We'll stop here and pick up next time in chapter 9. If you'd like to learn more about Pastor David or Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, please visit our website at calvaryccv.org. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.